Welcome, everyone, to the Take Control of Your Health podcast. This is Dr. Mercola bringing you the latest cutting-edge interviews to help you achieve optimal health. You can receive more information by subscribing to my free daily newsletter at Mercola.com. Thank you so much for listening. So let's get started with this week's latest program to help you and your family take control of your health. Welcome everyone, Dr. Mercola, helping you take control of your health. And today we're joined by a repeat guest, Dr. Stephanie Seneff, who is coming to us from the island of Kauai in Hawaii. So this is her new full-time residence now. So she's uh, able to optimize her vitamin D naturally the way it was designed to be through sun exposure on your skin, not through swallowing supplements. Unfortunately, most of us living in the United States aren't able to do that because we go through a winter. Now, obviously Hawaii has a winter too, but it's relatively mild and you can still get good, good amounts of vitamin D. So we'll have her back today to discuss a new paper she's written. And the paper's title is a mouthful. Uh, it's innate immune suppression by SARS-CoV-2 mRNA vaccinations, the role of G quadruplexes, exosomes, and microRNAs. I said it's a mouthful, but it really goes deep. There's, we are so fortunate to have this woman who has absolutely not lost her critical thinking skills uh, with us to help us understand some of the details of why this vaccine is absolutely in no way, shape, or form is safe or effective. It is the exact opposite of safe and effective. And there's very few people who have the scientific understanding and knowledge of molecular biology to break through the details and help explain why. And she, she's so good that actually, I believe uh, Dr. Malone quoted one of you, I think, it may have been this paper, but he quoted you in his blog recently. And um, of course, Malone is one of the most well-respected uh, physicians out there in the COVID space. And his interview with Joe Rogan and, and Chris, oh, New, Year's, New Year's Eve. No, it was Christmas Eve or New Year's Eve. I forget which one. But anyway, it had 50 million views, the largest podcast ever in the history of the world, which is just amazing. So he's gotten a lot of flack from mainstream media trying to suppress him. So he understands the brilliance of Dr. Senate. So uh, with all that background, we're going to dive in. So welcome and thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. And I want to point out, by the way, that this paper that... Um, you oh, you wrote it with all. Dr. McCullough too. I forgot. Oh I my gosh. Did. Although yeah. it is not published, it is not yet published. And I don't know um, whether we'll be able to publish it. So we're, <laughs> we're, we're jumping the gun here. Yeah, well, well McCullough to... is pretty well known for that. It's just, he's, I mean, in my mind, they're the top two physicians, McCullough and Malone. Um, and... I think McCullough is fantastic. And I'm so happy to have him collaborate with me. Oh. And I really, really hope we will be able to find a journal that um, is willing to publish it. It is. Um, yeah, but even it, if they publish it, he published an article recently with Jessica Rose, got published, and then they retracted it. Right. So we may have to seek some kind of extremely alternative media yeah, to get yeah. it published. There are, there's a number of ones out there. It may not be a high ranking journal, but you should. Right. It won't be probably. I mean, it's yeah. just impossible but, to get past. But even if, even if it was in nature or. Uh, New England Journal, you know, they the mainstream would just tear it apart. I know it's frustrating, isn't it? It's really incredible the amount of censorship that's going on right now. And uh, 
I'm in a state of shock um, all the time. I just keep thinking it's not going to get any worse and it is surely going to get better. And it just seems to keep on getting worse and worse. I don't know where the end is. Um, it's very discouraging. It is quite surreal, unquestionably. I mean, yes. it's, you, you, you just say this can't be real. This is, I mean, I'm in some science fiction novel, dystopian novel. Exactly. But, uh, we are getting some good news. I mean, just yes. We are. That's the right. Supreme, and of course, the Supreme Court exactly. overruled the unconstitutional Biden mandates, uh, except for healthcare workers, which is a loss. But, uh, you know, for those of you who are healthcare workers and are in the predicament where you're forced to get this jab that we're going to talk about in a few moments, your only best alternative is to quit. You, If they force you, you have to quit because there will be plenty of work for you to do. There's no doubt in my mind that you will be able to collaborate and communicate and, and have this network of like-minded healthcare professionals who understand the truth about this and will, and will not accept the jab. So don't get the jab. Don't get it. Absolutely not. Yeah. I mean, so anyway, so, you know, we should, we should dive into this paper. Uh, I, I, I've forgotten that it wasn't published yet. So, but, the, but how, did, with, with respect to publishing, can you only submit it to one journal at a time or do they allow multi-journal? No, it's extremely uh, hard to publish, especially when you have something controversial. Mm -hmm. um, what the worst thing that can happen is that you submit it to a journal and they, 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 you know, they go through the review process, they get some reviewers, they sit on it for months, they finally come back with reviews with lots of criticism and lots mm -hmm. of, you know, you run around, you, you, you do a whole big uh, edit, you know, and get a new version back, go through multiple, you know, rounds of review. This has happened to me, actually. The whole process can take like a year or even longer. Mm -hmm. And finally, they reject it. That's the end of all that. <laughs> so it's just insane. Yeah, for and, my, yeah my, they did the same thing for my paper. It was, I think, five rounds of revisions. And it took at least four or five months uh, but and i was by the last round i was ready to just forget it you know but my co-author dr bill william grant was very persistent and i think and and we wound up getting it done but and they didn't retract it but yeah uh, that's amazing that's the other thing is they finally accepted and then they retracted and we almost had that happen with the paper anthony and i wrote uh the first paper that i wrote on glyphosate together with anthony samso published in journal entropy which is a respectable journal, although they, um, of course, they started writing things accusing entropy of not, you know, being a, a rag journal. <laughs> the mm -hmm. journal was, the journal stood firm. I mean, they tried to get it retracted, and then the, the journal um, stood up to them and refused to retract it. So I'm very um, pleased about that. It's still, it's still there. But so, it's really hard. It's really hard when you're fighting the mainstream and, and pharma's got so much money behind their, their whole thing, and they've got it all set up to make sure that, uh, nothing gets past them, you know? Yeah, they're the gatekeepers for sure. So uh, for most of the, the, the mainstream journals. So um, with respect to the rules of this, I don't, I don't, can you, you can't post it publicly if it's, if it's still in the process of peer review, can you, unless you? Well, it's very interesting. The review process has changed quite a bit in recent Perfectly. times. Okay. And um it, it, over even just before COVID, I would say we started seeing these preprints showing up. Mm -hmm. I was quite mm -hmm. shocked when I saw the first one. It was a preprint service where this paper had been submitted to a journal under review, and it was published fully as a preprint. Mm -hmm. um, 
And, um, and so people could read it and comment on it and everything else. And then um, while it was going through the review process. So some of these papers show up as preprints and they get a lot of chatter around them. And then um, some of them know, you keep waiting for it to show up in a mainstream journal or in some journal. And um, many, some of them don't, they just end up as a preprint uh, forever. It looks to me like, or at least. Yeah, but from time. the end user perspective, it doesn't matter really. Right, yes, well, that is exactly. publicly. That is exactly what we're hoping to do is to put it up as a preprint. But even that requires um, a process. Mm -hmm. um, and remarkably, they can reject it at the level of preprint as well. So we're, we're working on that angle, but it's not easy. When you're, when you're writing something this radical, they really fight hard to keep it off the, um, off the web. So, Yeah, and it really isn't that radical. But it well, does it shouldn't be. Strike, but it, it strikes it's your science. Heart. It strikes right at the heart of what they're trying to do. Absolutely. It's hardcore molecular biology. And you've done Absolutely. a good job of it. it is, you know, having written books and papers before, I know the amount of work that went into this article. It probably is the equivalent of writing a book. There's the I know. I, we have really worked tirelessly on it for many months, and I'm very pleased with it, actually. I feel very... Um, happy about the outcome and, and the uh, the process that allowed us to figure out all this stuff is really quite fun. I mean, I love a puzzle and Lisa, you know, glyphosate was a great puzzle and now this is a great puzzle too. And it's also a window on biology because when you see what these things do uh, to the system, you can see, observe what the effect is. And then you want to try to explain, well, how, why did that happen? You know, I'm always asking why to try to understand what is going on here with these incredibly toxic um, exposures that are causing so many diseases it's really quite remarkable this is very much like glyphosate only worse i would say uh -huh. and when you look at the various database you can see the signal so strongly and they know that the numbers are out of sight you know the number of um, reports in VARES about really strange things happening in association with these vaccines and huge numbers of you know common vaccine reactions like migraine headache and fainting and nausea all those things are happening in huge numbers but of course also death and various reproductive issues and um, even cancer. I've been looking at all the cancer data. On average, I would say twice as many hits of associating these vaccines, these, these COVID vaccines with cancer compared to um, all the vaccines together over 31 years. You add up all the other vaccines over 31 years and we did, and we have that in the paper. We have a chart mm -hmm. on the on data on cancer. And uh, it's just amazing because um, it's overall two times and, Breast cancer, for example, is three times as many hits for these vaccines in one year as there are for all the other vaccines for 31 years. It's a hugely strong signal. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not typically appreciated. You're one of the rare people who really pointed that association out. When I first got your paper, my best friend's mother is just was just diagnosed with cancer. And unfortunately, my best friend is a really excellent biohacker and really knows the science well, but cannot convince either of her parents to the truth about what's going on with these injections. So her, both her parents are doubly injected and boosted, I think. And her mother came down with cancer and she's right now struggling with it. And it's yeah. just totally blind, like most everyone else, it fails to even consider that the jab was a, was a variable. Right, I know. People don't think it could possibly be a variable, so they never report it. In most cases, they don't report it in VAERS. But it, even so, you see that signal. The numbers are small for cancer because cancer is fairly rare. And mm -hmm. the idea that a vaccine is causing the cancer doesn't make any sense. 
So even if you get your cancer right after the vaccine, you don't think the vaccine's related to it. So you don't report it in bears. But even so, there are these very strong signals. And the breast cancer three times, you know, and so it's injected near the breast. So I would think that would really impact breast cancer. And there's also, you know, um, lymphoma is showing up uh, much more frequently with these vaccines and with the others. It's just, uh, there's just an amazing signal there in VARES. And I, you know, I don't understand why the government isn't alarmed by that. I just don't understand. Well, I'm sure you, you, you really, that was a rhetorical <laughs> question. You understand very clearly amazing brain, but uh, it's sad when you think about it, that they would go to this level of length the, to implement this type of strategy and, and with complete awareness and not ignorance. The, the, the people in charge are not unaware of what's going on. They know fully what they're doing. It still puzzles me that they're willing to do such um, damage to the health of the whole population of the world. I don't understand that degree of evilness, I suppose, is what I don't yeah. understand. Well, let's, we've got, I think we've got a good preface as to what this paper, you know, why you started. I mean, you, you're one of your characteristics clearly I've known you for a long number of years now is that you, as you said, you love puzzles. And this is mm-hmm. one of the, this is the puzzle of our time to figure this it thing out. It certainly is. There's no question about it. So you, you tackle the, the, one of the biggest challenges out there to figure it, you know, from a molecular biology perspective. So that was the motivation. So tell us how you put it together and what you came up with. Because it's it's a fascinating paper. I don't know. I mean, we'll figure this out if if you'll be able to read the whole thing. It's like forty pages. Right. It's a, it's, a, it's pretty much a mini book, and this is dense scientific literature. I mean, this is you, you really almost have to have a degree in chemistry or biology <laughs> to understand what's going on because it's it's deep. But if you read it slowly and carefully, the information is there, and you, you just did a brilliant job in compiling it. Well, thank you about for that. Yeah, well, it started off with an interest. I don't know where we first heard about the possibility of a disruption of type 1 interferon. Mm-hmm. There's several different angles from which that turns out to be seen in, in evidence for, from the vaccines, you know, from specific studies. I suppose the first study that tipped us off to that, it's a uh, very good and interesting study done by some folks in India. Um, and what they did was growing human cells in culture. And um, they exposed these cells to this, uh, you know, in d- DNA that allowed them to make spike protein. So it's very similar to the vaccine. They injected this, they, they provided them with this, these DNA nanoparticles that caused them to make spike protein. And these cells, this, and these were human uh, HEK293 cells. These are cells that were taken from the kidneys of a fetus um, some decades ago, like in the 1980s, and have been maintained in culture. These cells are used a lot in these studies. They actually don't know what kind of cell they are, but they think they're kind of a neuron. They're like a neuron. They have neuron-like properties, even though they were taken from the kidney. So those cells, when they're exposed to, when they're told to make lots of spike protein, um, what they do is they release that spike protein inside exosomes. They, they, They release all these exosomes, which are these lipid particles, lipid nanoparticles, packaged up with spike protein, and they insert into those exosomes other stuff. The exosomes are really, really fascinating. And I've been reading a lot about them lately. They're really a communication network for the cells. And when a cell is under stress, it releases exosomes containing some of the things that are stressing it is essentially what's happening. So those spike proteins are going out in those exosomes combined with these micro RNAs. And there were two in particular that were singled out in this, in this article, MIR-148A and one MIR-590. 
And it uh, turned out those two microRNAs together collaborated. They then exposed these microglia, which are these immune cells from the brain. Wait, wait, wait. I'm, I'm gonna, I think one of my roles here is to kind of slow you down a bit. So you, <laughs> I mean, we're, we're, you know, our target audience is, is, doesn't have the, the, the background in molecular biology. So uh, why don't you help? So I'll point out some simple things where you can expand on it. It'll help make, them, make it easier to digest. So, so what is a microRNA? Yeah, so the microRNAs are, are signaling molecules. They're RNA molecules, but they're very special and they're able to in, influence cell po policy. They cause the cell to be, change its behavior, its metabolic policy in terms of what it's doing um, dramatically from these, it actually suppresses. They typically suppress certain enzymes in, in spe specifically. But so these particular, and there's lots of these microRNAs, they all have numbers and it's a very complicated space rather daunting space if you try to get into it as far as reading about them. All of the parts of biology are quite uh, overwhelming to the native, to the naive person, I think. It's really, really difficult to get a grasp of all these things. But there were these two particular microRNAs that were put into those exosomes by those cells, by those neuron-like cells. And then those uh, exosomes were delivered to these microglia, which are the immune cells. So these microglia hang out in the brain. And of course, you've got neurons in the brain too. So you're thinking of neurons, you know, producing spike protein or even taking up spike protein, reacting to it by releasing exosomes, which are then picked up by these uh, microglia, the immune cells of the brain. And when the immune cells receive those exosomes, it turns out they turn on an inflammatory response as a response to those, to those microRNAs. And of course, to that toxic spike protein that's in there, it, it sets up inflammation in the brain. And of course, inflammation in the brain will, just, will, will damage the neurons. There's no question inflammation is the key factor behind multiple neurodegenerative diseases, inflammatory damage to the mm -hmm. neurons. And, which which um, you're gonna go into later. But yes. can, can also, another definitional question uh, with the exosomes, uh, is it, isn't it true that the uh, COVID jab is an exosome? Well, it's not, but it's, it, it, it isn't literally it's like an exosome, an exosome. but it's very similar. It's actually, okay. I think, more similar to an LDL particle. It's about the same okay. size as an LDL particle. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, it contains, contains lots of messenger RNA, lots of it. Exosomes can contain messenger RNA too, as, as well. So there's a certain family resemblance for sure, because they're both lipid particles. I think they're different sizes. I think the exosomes mm -hmm. are probably quite a bit smaller. Um, the, the, the virus, uh, the vaccine particles are bigger. They're more like a LDL particle. They have cholesterol in their membrane, the vaccine particles, and they have lipoprotein. So they're made to look like an LDL particle, but then they throw in this cationic lipid, which is really, really toxic, a synthetic cationic lipid that makes it positively charged and that allows it to, um, they've found experimentally that that lipid um, allows the, um, the uh, vaccine when the particle is taken up by the cell, it's released into the cytoplasm and it gets going with using that mRNA to make spike protein. They have designed these vaccines to be very, they're very cleverly designed, um, both in terms of protecting the RNA from getting broken down and in terms of making the RNA be very, very efficient at making spike protein. They've done these two things that make it very different. It's very, very different from the messenger RNA that the virus makes, even though it codes for the same protein. And you, you wrote a paper on this too, didn't you? And that one got published? Yes, we do have that paper that Greg and I and I published um, that's had quite a bit of uh, exposure too. So I'm happy mm -hmm. about that. Yeah. So we, we actually did an interview on that and you went into details of it. So we'll probably put a link to that. 
and even yes that would be great it does it does tie in it's sort of a primer for the this understanding it is it's a lot of overlap yeah this is the level two the next step exactly level two is right yes yeah so anyway so these um so these cells the immune cells you know um well, I'm getting uh, out of, it's hard to know how to organize all of this stuff. Uh, it's just so much information. Right? That so, one paper that I started to talk about that ended up with the microglia producing inflammation in the brain, um, that paper looked very specifically at those microRNAs and what they do. And what it found was that those two mi- microRNAs that they identified as being primary are MIRNAs that were put into that those exosomes with that spike protein. Those guys are able to really mess up what's called type one interferon response in cells and and in the immune cells and type one or in any cell actually, but type one interferon response is absolutely critical as the first stage response to a a virus infection. So when a virus, when a cell gets invaded by a virus, it sees, oh my God, there's a virus here, I need to do something. And it releases this signal, this type one interferon, interferon alpha it's called, or Mm -hmm. beta, those are both type one. It releases those signaling molecules which then cause the neighbors, and of course the immune cells in particular, to be informed, oh, this there's a cell that's infected with a virus. That launches the immune response and gets it going very early in the viral infection. And it's been shown actually with COVID-19 that people who get severe disease often have uh, compromised type one interferon response. So it's very ironic that the vaccines are being given to protect you from COVID. And yet they produce a situation where your immune cells are ill-equipped to fight COVID if it gets into the cell. So the trick is the vaccine produces tremendous antibody response. And that's Mm -hmm. typical of severe disease. So the vaccine makes your body, it fools your immune system into thinking that you've had a severe case of COVID. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting that way because it's bypassed the, uh, the mucosal, it's gotten past the mucosal barrier of the lungs. It's gotten past the vascular barrier of the blood into the muscle. So, and, and also it's been disguised. It, the RNA doesn't look like a virus RNA. It looks like a human RNA. Mm-hmm. Part of the trick of what they modify, the modifications. I mentioned that make it very sturdy so it can't be broken down. Make it very good at making protein fast, which also has a problem because that may, it leads to a lot of errors, which is another issue. But and that, then, that also increases the number of antibody responses, right? Well, yeah, pre- tremendous amounts of spike yes. protein. You can't turn it off. You can't turn off the spigot because it's been designed that way. They've mm-hmm. carefully chosen a- a- augmentations to the to the design of the RNA to make it uh, to make it very difficult to stop it from making protein and very difficult to break it down. Sticks around for a long time. They don't know how long, but you know it's. Um, you could you could make estimates, and, and I think it it could be even weeks. I think that it could stick around in in the spleen. Actually, it probably ends up in the spleen. The the, the immune cells take up the um, take up the nanoparticles, carry them through the lymph system into the spleen. Uh, multiple studies have shown that the um, that the, it ends up at high highest concentration among the different organs. It ends up in the spleen, and we've talked before about the ovaries as well. The ovaries, mm-hmm. the spleen, the liver. The bone marrow; these are all places where it ends up. Aside from, of course, the main part that stays in the muscle. There's a lot in the muscle, but what gets carried away gets carried into those critical organs that are involved in the immune response. You know, the spleen, of course, is very, very important for we just producing take antibodies. Take a step back for a moment and go to the antibody production because it, it seems to me that the the level of antibodies being produced by these COVID jabs are exponentially higher than you would have from 
that was, those received from a normal infection. I mean, levels of orders of magnitude higher. So it's a, it seems to be a pathologic response. Yes, I agree. I agree. Can you, can you comment on the, the number, the increase? Because I mean, if you look at these levels, I mean, it's compared to someone who's just, just infected normally, it's right. night and day difference. Right. As I said, it's basically, and it's interesting, there was a study that showed that um, the levels of antibody responses on average go up with the degree of disease, disease severity. So when you have a really mild case of COVID, your body doesn't bother to make antibodies. It's like, we don't need those antibodies because your immune cells are strong enough to fight it off without them. The when you say immune cells, you're referring to the innate immune system? Innate immune system, yeah. It's the innate immune system that's weak and that's when you get into trouble. And part of that weakness is an inability to respond with that type one interferon. So mm. that if that response is suppressed, then your immune cells are not really very capable of stopping the spread of the virus in your body. So and a, then, question, a question on type one interferon. Because both you and Judy Mikovits are have been a strong advocates of this, but yet I have to this day ever seen it recommended in any of the protocols that are being passed around by physicians who are really good at understanding this, like Dr. Corey, Dr. McCullough, FLCC, and a wide variety of others. I've never seen seen interferon recommended. Yeah, that's other, interesting. Other than I think. You. You and Judy, that was it. <laughs> I see. it there, there are some studies and I think there are some confusion about it because it's quite interesting that if the type one interferon is occurring early on, so it's supposed to be right away at the beginning of the infection that mm -hmm. you turn on that type one interferon, your body does it naturally if your mm -hmm. cells are infected with the virus. Um, and, uh, and then people who have a weak version of it, they, the virus takes hold and, and multiplies. Um, and, and in fact, there have been studies, I think, on rats and mice where they're trying to figure out if they can supplement type 1 interferon, interferon and, and make, a, make it beneficial. But apparently it's complicated because if you, put, if you put the type 1 interferon in at the wrong time in the whole phase of the system, it, it, can, it can not work out the way you expected. So it's mm. really complicated biology with, this, with the immune system. The immune system is so complex, it's amazing. But I think just like you say, ivermectin and... and hydroxychloroquine need to be given early, early uh -huh. in the infection. And I think that's the same thing with the type 1 interferon. So I think what happens is by the time somebody's got really severe disease, it's kind of too late to use that therapy. Hmm. You have to be able to anticipate they're not going to be able to fight off the virus on their own. And then if you have early to use it early on, you may as well use simpler, less expensive and easy to obtain interventions. So that's probably why. Yeah. And nutri nutrients. Okay. Right. But it is interesting because of the, I think that the, uh, my impression is that the immune cells don't know what the hell's going on. You know, they're like, oh, there's this crazy, you know, neuron is a toxic protein, prion-like protein that's being produced in massive amounts by the immune cells. That's just extremely unusual. And there's no sign of any kind of viral infection because these RNAs look like human RNAs. Mm -hmm. It's as if the human cell suddenly decided to make a really toxic protein and make lots of it. And it's an immune cell. So that's just like. Well, that's what they're doing. The human cells are created. It. It's exactly what they're doing. And the, and the immune system is completely baffled by this, I suspect. What? I they have no clue what to do with it. And, and so, of course, these immune cells that are overloaded with all this spike protein, that's what, what they do is they just, I got to get rid of this stuff. So they ship it out as these exosomes. And they put things in there. It's so fascinating with these microRNAs that they think that the recipient cell is going to need that you know, those particular signaling molecules to help it do whatever it needs to do to cope with this toxic, you know, load that you're delivering to them. And so uh, you're spreading the spike protein around to the, uh, to the rest of the body to try to just, you know, dissipate the toxicity that you're coping with in the spleen. Um, 
I think, you know, and so then the antibodies and also, of course, send it out on those. Actually, those exosomes are very good for uh, training antibodies. And that's another thing that um, there was a nice paper that showed, in fact, exosomes being released, exosomes containing spike protein showing up in their membrane, in, in, the, in, in the exterior of the exosome. It's quite cool that the uh, spike protein is displayed there, which allows these immune cells, the B cells and the, and the T cells that need to get up close and personal to it to figure out how to shape their antibodies. The antibodies get shaped to match the toxic protein that's exposed on the surface of the exosomes. And these people were feeling that the, um, they were showing the exosome showing up. And then after something like 14 days uh, of the second vaccine, I think the exosomes induced a, uh, an antibody response, you know, um, that they, they felt the exosomes played a critical role in, uh, in this extreme antibody response that was produced um, by the uh, B cells and the T cells, the adaptive immune system. It's pretty interesting. Um, but I think that the, the, the way the vaccine works is that there's no game uh, that you can choose other than to make antibodies. It's the only way you can fight this. It's just a toxic protein that's being produced and released by these immune cells. And the only thing you can do to stop it is to make antibodies. So they try to make lots and lots of antibodies that will glue onto that, those toxic spike proteins and actually block them from being able to get in through the ACE2 receptor. So that's the job of the antibodies. They do a good job of it initially with those extremely high antibodies. It's true that they do protect you from disease, but unfortunately the antibody levels drop pretty dramatically, pretty quickly. So after three or four months, they're down quite a bit lower. And there are these other antibodies that are enhancing antibodies, as you know, mm -hmm. and they don't drop quite as fast. So there's a crossover point at which the enhancing antibodies can be stronger than the um, protective antibodies. And that's when you can get this antibody dependent enhancement that people have seen in the past with coronavirus vaccines. And we're still trying to see if that's the case with these vaccines. There is some evidence here and there, but it's not. We, we sure haven't seen yet. the data yet. Not sure yet. Yes, it's yeah, it's I mean, which is there. A bit, I mean, we, who knows? Because typically, you would expect it when the we certainly have had the surge with Omicron, but it doesn't seem to be generating a severe response. It seems to be a much less uh, pathogenic variant. That's, so people right. are, people have not been dropping from ADE like some people like some. I know that people were, have been predicting that for quite some time, and I've been mm -hmm. watching for it, and we haven't necessarily seen it. Although there was a. Um, hospital in, in Israel where they had a, an outbreak um, of COVID-19 and they actually had five deaths of people who were fully vaccinated in that outbreak. So it's, it's, that looked like evidence of aid, but, um, but it hasn't been uh, seen clearly in other studies so far. We're still looking for it. People keep thinking it's going to happen. We're still looking for it. Well, I, would, just, I mean, it could, it could, it may, what do you, what do you think is the range where it could occur biologically? What do you mean the range in terms the range of after the time of the, the after yeah. the, the last injection? What I would have expected is that as the antibodies fade uh, and the and the protective antibodies fade faster, which is what they have seen in studies, mm -hmm. um, at some point you'd reach the crossover point where you still had those enhancing antibodies um, at higher levels and the and the uh, suppressing antibodies at lower levels, such that then it, they would uh, turn out the other way around that the enhancing antibodies would enable. Uh, the entry of the, of the virus uh, more readily than not having any antibodies at all. So it's a sort of a, a chasing game between the enhancing antibodies and the uh, suppressing antibodies. It's quite curious to me that the immune system does this. And that's something that's puzzled me. You know, I want to understand. I, I, I believe everything in the immune system has a purpose. 
you know, it is designed to work properly with the body as it is. And um, we one just, thing, I, well, we just don't understand it. <laughs> no, there's a lot we don't understand. That frustrates me when I can't get the answer. I have to yeah. say, yeah. yes. Um, so uh, the, maybe you can go over some of the downsides of the vaccine or the jab. It, yeah. it really isn't qualified to be called a vaccine, I don't think. No, I don't unless, unless you change the definition like the CDC did yes. uh, to qualify it. Um, oh, well, I should but, go into this interferon thing because with okay, this, go, go fact, into the, go into the so there was that one study from India, which I think was what tipped us off on this idea of the interferon problem. And then we found a study from China, actually, Shanghai, China, mm -hmm. a, a long list of authors. Uh, and they did a good job of tracking what does the va va vaccine do to the immune system um, over time, you know, looking at people who got vaccinated, uh, looking at what they had before the vaccine and then what they had at different stages after the first vaccine, after the second vaccine. They did a, a very interesting study. And uh, they too found out that the vaccine, so they found that the infection was causing uh, increase in what's called CD8 plus T, T cells. Those are really important cytotoxic T cells that can actually remove cells that are infected. Um, so they're very important as part of the defense against the virus. CD8 plus T cells were enhanced in response to the uh, disease, but not in response to the vaccine. And, the, and then they also saw this interferon, type one interferon suppression showing up with the vaccine, which was very puzzling and disturbing because that's going to interfere with that. Not only the, you know, COVID-19 infection, you need type one interferon response right away to get good control early on. You also need it for a lot of other viruses and you have a lot of latent viruses like herpes and um, shingles, you know, the shingles virus, the varicella, which is uh, from shingles. Both of those herpes and shingles are showing up with a strong signal in, in, in the VARES database, people getting, uh, getting it, those. Does corona, does coronavirus have the potential to go into a latent phase like herpes? Good question. I don't know. I actually don't I, know. I, I don't think it does. I th is, yeah. is it, because herpes is a DNA virus, isn't it? Yeah, I think you're probably right that it does yeah. not, because I haven't heard anyone talking about latent COVID. So no, I don't think so. The coronaviruses probably get cleared um, mm -hmm. following the disease. But these latent viruses are waiting around, just sitting around doing nothing, not really harming you, mm -hmm. until you have... Um, a weakened immune system. And so when that type one interferon response is low, you get increased risk to infection with other things. And you also get an increased risk to cancer. And that's something we talked about quite a bit in the paper is the um, consequences of the reduced type one interferon um, causing increased risk to cancer. And there's a lot of uh, papers about that, um, that whole story that we referenced in our paper. Yes. Which is interesting because clearly it increases your risk of cardiovascular disease. Or something people are absolutely advised from it. But but the number two cause of death is cancer. So it's interesting to hit both of those. Yes, right. And the cardiovascular disease is also related to this whole thing with the exosomes. That is very clear to me. There was a paper that showed another exosome, MIR one fifty five, mm -hmm. which was showing up in response to COVID. Uh, so these exosomes are being released by stressed cells, you know, in general, when you're sick and, um, and, but there's different ones that are released under different conditions, but those are the three that I've identified MR155. And I mentioned 148A and 590, the two that were shown, shown in that experiment by the people in India, but MIR155 is really, really critical for, for the heart. When you get inflammation in the heart, if you, if you expose the heart to MIR155, which was found in exosomes, that were released in response to COVID-19. 
So I'm guessing that it would also be in exosomes that are released in response to the uh, vaccine. And, and then the, uh, those exosomes taken up by the heart are very um, good at, in, at causing myocarditis. They're going to cause the myocarditis. And, and can you explain that mechanism for how it does that? Well, again, it's basically that the, um, the, um, the microRNA suppresses certain proteins um, that then causes a cascade response. And uh, it's really mm. complicated with all these different uh, signalings that go on inside, inside um, cells. But when a particular protein get, that's a critical player gets suppressed by a, by a microRNA, then a whole different policy takes off inside the cell to do something very different from what they were doing before. And this inflammatory response, you know, involves releasing reactive oxygen species and causing mm -hmm. um, damage to the cells, inflammation, which then has a whole other cascade of things, you know, fibroblasts, all kinds of things start happening um, in response. And of course, in the, in the blood, when you get this inflammatory response, you can end up with uh, blood clots, you know, and, and that's mm -hmm. another thing that these vaccines cause, inflammation in the blood, which can then trigger blood clots. The platelets play a very important role and lots of interesting things happen to them in response to these vaccines. Sure. Does, it, does the microRNA uh, catalyze the inflammation or, the, uh, or is there an autoimmune component to it also? Well, there probably is an autoimmune component as well. And that's another whole area that's important because the vaccine produces extremely high levels of antibodies. And those antibodies are to a protein that has many different segments, uh, sequences in it that are also found in a number of different human cells that are related to autoimmune disease. Um, Kanduk has written a lot about this, K-A-N-D-U-C. Uh, I think she's a woman, it's an, she's an expert on, um, on these antibodies and, um, and finding so many different sequences within the spike protein. The spike protein is very, um, overlaps overlaps with human protein. So that means when you build a, a really strong antibody response to the spike protein, those antibodies can get confused and they can attack a human protein that has a similar sequence. And that's, that's a classic um, form of autoimmune disease. It's called molecular mimicry. And so- Is, uh, is that typically a later stage though? Is it not as acute? It should happen over time. It should be slower. Yes, it should start to show up later on. And, and that could also end up with things like multiple sclerosis you know, attacking the uh, myelin sheath uh, because of uh, uh, similarities between the sequence of, of amino acids in the, in the spike protein compared to these other proteins that are known to be connected to all these in, uh, autoimmune diseases. And there were many, I think, and in fact, it, there were many different proteins that were, um, that matched the, uh, it was quite surprising how many different matches there were within this spike protein. It seems to be very well designed to induce uh, autoimmune disease if you produce antibodies to those sequences in the spike protein. Now, what, what about the, I'm sure we're gonna go into the neurological components, but I'm thinking of many of the case reports I've witnessed in video reports, actually, uh, and they seem to be mostly women where they develop this side effect of uncontrollable tremors and shaking. I saw that, yes, And uh, by a large number of people, mostly women, as I said, but uh, I mean, that, that can't be fake. So what, do you have an idea what the mechanism might be there? I actually feel there's a very strong signal for the uh, idea, which I am I'm, I'm pushing this idea that you have those immune cells in the spleen, making mm -hmm. spike protein, releasing it in exosomes. And it's been shown in studies on Parkinson's disease that those exosomes travel mm -hmm. um, 
up the vagus, they travel along their fibers and they'll go mm -hmm. along the splanchnic nerve, they'll hook up with the vagus nerve, they'll go up to the brain and they'll get in, into all these different nerves in the brain. And in fact, when you look at the SARS, at the VARS database, Mm -hmm. um, you see tremendous signals for all kinds of things that suggest different nerves being inflamed. Mm -hmm. So for example, tinnitus, this huge hit, and I have the numbers here, I think for tinnitus, 12,000 cases of tinnitus associated with the COVID-19. That's reported. So obviously anywhere from right. a minimum of five to 40 or more. <laughs> right, exactly. That's only what's reported. Um, so tinnitus is a strong signal. So tinnitus is going to be inflammation of the auditory nerve. So this means you have to go all the way from the spleen, I think, up the vagus nerve, and then connecting up to the auditory nerve to cause the tinnitus. And then you have, um, you know, Bell's palsy is inflammation of the, of the facial nerve, and you have migraine headache. There's huge counts on migraine headache, um, over 8,000, over 8,000 cases of migraine headache, and also many cases of just plain headache. And migraine is, is linked to inflammation of the, of the trigeminal nerve. So you've got all these nerves sort of in the, in the head that are connected to the um, vagus nerve, which comes up to the brainstem, and then it just keeps on moving along these nerve fibers. So it probably also goes, I'm suspecting, along the nerve fibers of the spinal column, which can then cause some of these cases where they're finding paralysis. I mean, people have a lot of mobility issues connected with these vaccines. I can understand paralysis, but, but this it's almost like a seizure. This, this, this current this, tremors, persistence. Yeah. It's like there's some it type is like of a seizure, isn't it? It seems like it. I mean, and, I yes. just, and, and interestingly, almost every one of the physicians that are responsible for helping these people are unable to figure anything out. They, 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 they call them a functional psychogenic reaction to have, having gotten the jab. Okay. They think they're so just, terrified, right? That they just shaking oh, with fear. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're just shaking uncontrollably because they, they were afraid they got it. Right. Well, I see that. I see the possibility of causing a lot of disturbances to the myelin sheath. And we mm. talked about that in the paper. That's quite interesting. And it involves complex, again, complex signaling. There's so, so much complicated signaling that goes on in biology, but the, you get to the, um, you can get to the myelin sheath problem through the type one interferon disruption because, um, it, and that, that again, it, it involves something called an interferon response factor nine, IRF nine, um, which triggers, um, which this uh, protein triggers the production of sulfatide in the liver. And this protein gets suppressed by these uh, microRNAs that I mentioned earlier. So when that protein gets suppressed, sulfatide synthesis gets suppressed. The liver makes most of the sulfatide in the body and distributes it. Actually, the blood cells carry a lot of sulfatide, like the uh, platelets. Sulfatide is an interesting molecule because it's the only sulfonated uh, lipid uh, in the body. And, and of course, I'm very much into sulfate, as you know. So mm -hmm. I think sulfatide mm -hmm. is an important lipid carrier. But the myelin sheath contains lots of sulfatide. And that's part of what protects it, what keeps it safe. And so that sulfatide becomes eroded. It becomes eroded in association with um, myel demyelinating diseases. So I think the myelin is being attacked, um, is really being hurt badly by um, the vaccine on those nerve fibers where these exosomes are traveling and delivering spike protein and causing a lot of inflammation and causing disruption of the signaling processes that re results into uh, deficiencies in certain critical molecules that leads to things like multiple sclerosis, for example, with the myelin, but all the, also other demyelinating, demyelinating diseases. It seems, you, you know, I was intrigued when you and surprised at the same time, then you mentioned that the number of people with tinnitus or tinnitus 
was 12,000, which is extraordinarily high. And from my deep dive into EMF exposure, that's probably one of the most significant symptoms that people have. And, Interesting. And, yeah, it's tinnitus. And uh, I, I had a person who was a mold remediator. I had some damage in my laundry room and, and that he was an expert, came in and did that. And we did, started talking and he told me he had tinnitus. I was writing the book at the time. And I brought him into my bedroom, which is completely shielded from all EMFs. Mm. Guess what happened to his tinnitus? He went away? He disappeared. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So, you know, to me, that was a really powerful indication that, that that's a factor. And, and, and the reason I'm mentioning this is, is from my deep dive into it, I, I learned that, you know, because I'm I like you, I like puzzles and I want to figure it out. It seemed to be mitochondrial dysfunction that was the primary driver. Interesting. Yeah. So, and any effort you can to repair, restore, regenerate the mitochondria seems to improve it overall. So, and, and I know you are pretty uh, well up to date on the mitochondrial function. So I'm wondering if you think there's, from your deep dive on the, the jab, if you think there's any connection there targeting the mitochondria specifically. I, I, I think there surely must be, and I should, be, I should probably look into that more because I'm a little bit... Um, um, <laughs> not sure how to how to say that, but of course, inflammation you know leads to yeah. oxidative damage, which leads to mitochondrial damage. So certainly, any kind of reactive oxygen species are going to harm the, the mitochondria. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think you know a big concern that I want to talk to you offline is this this long haul COVID, and one of the most pervasive symptoms of that is fatigue. And mm -hmm. clearly, I mean, if you're uh, that's why you're now responsible for generating cellular energy is compromised. You're going to be tired. Right. Yeah. Well, actually, you know, the study that was looking at the effects of the vaccine was quite interesting that they saw um, the beginnings of uh, diabetes um, type mm. type two diabetes. If they had elevated blood sugar, um, which of which course, study, which study was this? In? This is a study in China. It was a really interesting study that looked at people before and after their vaccines and what kind, what happened. Oh, to this is post-vaccine. There response. was an increased risk of diabetes. Type yes. two. Interesting. Yes. That would be a fascinating study to do because you don't have to have outright diabetes. I mean, that's defined, as you know, as a blood sugar, fasting blood sugar greater than 125. Mm -hmm. But you could just do regular fasting blood sugars pre and post Right, that would yeah, be a great that, study. That would be a marvelous study. Who would have thought? And yeah, what you're saying is most likely going to see a very serious increase. I expect so. We'll see. I mean, it's all going to take time. When when Greg and I wrote our first paper, we we were thinking in terms of uh, you know prion diseases and uh, neurodegenerative mm -hmm. diseases, Alzheimer's, and that it, we we were predicting it could take 10, 20 years or even more before you'd actually see the effect. So it can take a long time to notice it because these things happen slowly. I mean, the Parkinson's is a slow process that starts off with long before you have symptoms, you have evidence of this, you know, alpha-synuclein problem, this folded alpha-synuclein in the spleen. So it starts to show up, you know, in these other organs and eventually makes its way to the brain. So we, we don't really know how long it's going to take before the effects of these vaccines become apparent. And of course, we may have forgotten, you know, to look for it by the time it happens. We start seeing, if we start seeing elevations, I think we're going to see people getting these neurodegenerative diseases earlier and earlier in life, you know, than they used to. And, well, um, well those women I was talking about with those tremors and seizures, seizure-like uh, muscle, muscle uh, contractions, 
uh, it almost looked like Parkinson's disease. Yes, that's but what that I was thinking. That would be acute. Because Parkinson's so, disease has shakes associated with it. So mm-hmm. I think it, a lot of this could be, um, you know, Parkinsonian-like symptoms. And one thing I will say, actually, the olfactory nerve, I was looking at all these different nerves, you know, looking for various data on things that would indicate an inflammation in these various nerves in the head to try to see if this exosome idea made sense. And the olfactory nerve is quite interesting because you know that COVID-19 causes a loss of sense of smell uh, for many people. That's one of its very classic symptoms. And the vaccine causes that too. And in fact, there was really a huge, I was really surprised that huge, I think nine, uh, what was it? 36 times as much um, as many cases of uh, olfactory nerve uh, of loss of sense of smell for the uh, COVID vaccines compared to all the vac- other vaccines together over 31 years. That sounds times. like the same increase in the death rate. <laughs> yeah, it's 36 times as much as everything else together over 31 years. I mean, that's just mind boggling, right? It is mind boggling. It's yeah. so huge. And so this really means that it's in- inflammation in the olfactory nerve, which of course, uh, loss of sense of smell is an early sign of Parkinson's disease. So it sort of looks oh, to I me like we're moving towards a Parkinsonian Yes, and also the yes. uh, Bell's palsy, which is the other one you know that shows up with the uh, mm-hmm. Bell's palsy, which is inflam- from inflammation of the facial nerves, but probably often caused by uh, uh, herpes, uh, reactivated herpes, um, or even varicella. They can mm-hmm. cause um, Bell's palsy, and that that's a huge signal, and that's also a risk factor for Parkinson's disease. And even dysphagia, you know, being not being able to swallow, that's another one. There were a bunch of those, um, 4,650 cases of dysphagia, inability to swallow, which is also a, a sign of uh, Parkinson's disease. So I think all those things that are signals for Parkinson's and even just immobility, right? Just sort of uh, losing the ability to walk, that's happening as well. And that might be from inflammation in the spinal column. I don't know. I mean, I, it's hard to figure out what's... I just think it's traveling all over the nerves and causing quite a huge problem everywhere, but it really goes up. Yeah. This, the Parkinsonian studies have shown that the um, Parkinson's, uh, they've really done a good job of showing that you can get uh, pathogens in the gut that are producing a prion-like protein, which is what the spike protein is, a prion-like protein. And then the immune cells take it up and take it to the spleen. And then, in, and then this is, of course, causing them stress. And so a stressed immune cell in the spleen upregulates, up produces more alpha-synuclein. Alpha-synuclein is actually um, a molecule that fights infection. And that's the molecule that misfolds in association with Parkinson's disease. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting. I'm so fascinated with all of these um, molecules that are prion-like. You know, there's the mm-hmm. prion protein itself, but then there's the alpha-synuclein, amyloid beta, this TDP43, which is associated with um, ALS, you know, and of course the prion protein is associated with CJD, Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease. And all of those diseases are, um, are overrepresented in the um, COVID uh, database, the, the virus database for COVID, you know, compared to all the other vi- uh, vaccines combined over 31 years. I mean, it's just completely out of line. With so what, what are the numbers in these prion-like diseases? Oh, I have some numbers here, actually. Let me just get this up here. Um, you, normally, you wouldn't anticipate it this early on, which is... Right, they're very small the numbers. Very, very small yeah. numbers. That's the thing, very rare. So very low counts. But Alzheimer's, so Alzheimer's is 58 in association with the COVID vaccines and 13 in association with all the other vaccines over 31 years, 13. So that's, you know, like several times more, mm-hmm. but small not 35, numbers. not 35, yeah. 58 versus 13. And, and CJD is also much more common. It's actually almost seven times as common 
uh, in the COVID vaccine. CJD is Kutzwadiaka. That's a terrible disease, and you die after a few years. You know, you get very crippled. Um, that's the prion. That's the classic prion protein, and uh, that's extremely rare. Like only one person in a million uh, gets CJD. It's very, very rare. Uh, there was a, a person who contacted me from France whose wife got CJD after just a few weeks after the second vaccine developed CJD. He was absolutely convinced the vaccine caused it. Um, there are actually 27 cases reported in VARES for the COVID-19 vaccines against only four cases over the entire history of the other vaccines. All the vaccines combined. That's, yeah, so that's also that's very compelling. big. Yeah, like almost seven times as much. Very small but, but, numbers because but, people don't know it's connected. They don't report it. Oh, yeah, that's a, that's a huge component. So, but your projection is that this is likely to increase by 10 to 100 fold over the coming years. Yeah. So you have this, some of these things like dysphagia, which is difficulty swallowing, very much connected to Parkinson's. And that's 6,000 cases. So those are showing up much more commonly. And there's... You know, that, that is a good point, too, because the cases that are being reported and, and you know, really displayed on social media, some social media, <laughs> alternative social media, are ones that where it's really obvious. But, you know, there's a progression of disease that you could have yes. a mild case and you may not even attribute it to or may not even notice it. Yes. It's not just it's not an on off switch. It's, there's a whole gradations of it. Right. And I got I've gotten email from people who've shared with me their horror stories about their their loved ones. And, um, you know, there was one that talked about Parkinson's. The person had Parkinson's, got the vaccines and then within a short while progressed really rapidly and died with the Parkinson's. So it's going to accelerate. I think anybody who already has any of these diseases is going to have accelerated. That's got to be a black box warning on these things. I mean, there's a lot it of things, should, but that should, clearly is certainly should of, be. They're going to have such a big black box warning. They're oh have, my have pages of it, <laughs> small print. It's amazing how many things that it, maybe they, these, maybe they just don't think talk. black box warnings mean anything anymore. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, it makes them so long. Nobody wants to read them. Oh, right? <laughs> it's very discouraging. I mean, I just don't understand. Um, why there aren't more people who are recognizing how unsafe these vaccines are. Well, you do. That's a rhetorical question. You understand very clearly. You know what that is. <laughs> you tell me just, that. <laughs> because you do. You're a smart cookie. Yes. Yeah, you know why they're doing this thing. It's just, it's sad. It's just, we just want to be in disbelief because to, to fully acknowledge that level and depth and perversion, you just want to cry. Yes. Yes, I suppose so. I suppose most people just don't want to go there. Yeah. Don't want to admit the world is that bad. That it is. People but it are is. that evil. Yeah. yeah. And I think more and more, I mean, we're seeing this. It's just, these are very interesting times. We're seeing this transition of the, the middle group of individuals who are not brainwashed completely and, and are open to this. And I think they're starting to see this and the resistance to the implementing this strategy is starting to increase. So, but we need the hard data. So I keep diverting from it. It's not really hard data, but it, it, it's more actually plausible right. biological mechanisms of why exactly. this is happening. And you do that better than anyone I know of. Yes, that's, a, that's my game. And that's really what I want to do is to just, mm -hmm. I want to figure it out for myself personally, just to understand. Mm -hmm. You know, when I see something that can cause that much damage, I want to really try to understand why. And of course, I have the larger goal of understanding how biology works, which we're making yeah. progress on that. And, and the reason for that is it's not just some esoteric academic 
tickle that you have. I mean, once you understand the way something causes disease or pathology, then you could implement effective strategies to circumvent it. Exactly so, right. Or treat it, or you know, at least like clearly these types of diseases like Parkinson's should be a black box warning. You know, and Absolutely. pretty much almost, would you agree, almost every other autoimmune disease? I mean, you've got those, you cannot get Oh, I cancer. think so. I think it's, it's a cancer. I mean, I think pretty much all cancers, certain ones more than others, but pretty much all cancers are going to be enhanced by these vaccines and um, autoimmune disease, neurodegenerative disease, and, you know, reproductive issues. Gosh, I just got an email from someone who's um, gotten uh, really obsessed with the whole issue of the reproductive system. And you and I talked before about the ovaries, you know, that was, the, there was a study mm-hmm. in Japan, that I think Pfizer was involved, that showed, um, you know, the spleen getting the highest level in response to the vaccine in the arm showed up in the organs, highest in the spleen, next was the ovaries, number two, in the females, which was really disturbing to me, because the ovaries, of course, you know, that's where reproduction happens. So if you're going to put inflammation at the ovaries, it's certainly not a good thing. I can't imagine much worse than, than hitting uh, the ovaries. Well, and, and there've been actual reports of like 80% miscarriage rates in the first trimester. I saw that. Yes. Um, there's a lot of reports in bears uh, related to uh, fetal damage and um, um, miscarriage and those sorts of things. And I expect we're going to have um the um, clinics to help people um, who are infertile, infertility clinics are probably going to be booming in the coming There's going to be an explosion of fertility I suspect so. We'll have to see. And also, oh, also wow. there were some, gosh, there were some cases so, in bears with like um, swollen testes and things like that, which mm-hmm. that doesn't sound good. That means that it's going into the testes, which I would be, you know, be surprised if it didn't because it really is going to those so, organs that are. So what's your speculation? Obviously it can cause death to the to existing fetus. But what, what is the impact on long-term fertility rates? Do you think it's actually killing these eggs? That I don't know. I just... don't know. The people are talking about syncytin. I think you're probably aware of that. I think Judy mm-hmm. Mikovits talked about yeah, that. She That's talks a quite lot about fascinating yeah. um, because there is a connection it's, there. I think with she talks about syncytin. I don't pronounce it right, probably. Yeah, yeah. Syncytin. Syncytin. Syncytin, I think. Is what syncytin. She, uh, it's, it's hard. It's not a common <laughs> word, but she says it Syn- so well. Syncytin. Okay, syncytin. Yes, because that has sort of um, similarities. And there's a, uh, there's a worry that it would... Um, that we would people would develop antibodies, I think, to syncytin mm-hmm. is what they're thinking, uh, and that's essential for um, for the fertilization. I think it is, or or the placenta, or something. I don't know the details well enough on that one, but I. All right, so that it, it makes sense, and you reminded me of Judy's uh, explanation on that. So this there might be an antibody response which impairs the body's ability to to can to. Uh, uh, Implant, I think, is implantation, implantation is yeah. disrupted. So the, uh, the egg can't, the be, pregnancy can't be implanted in the placenta. I think that's right. what it was, which I think is possible. I, I mean, we'll have to just wait and see. It, we're going to have a lot of interesting um, data coming out. I'm waiting for the death rates, too. I really want to see causes of death um, in 2021 uh, compared to previous years. Which ones are well, going up? Well, you've got to first look at that. I'm sure you've heard the data where this Indiana Life Insurance Company had a, in the third quarter, I think it started, it was a 40% increase over 2020, 40%. I saw that. I saw that. Yeah. And that's the and, very beginning. So we're, we're slow to get the data. I'm eager to get the data um, on, co- you know, different causes of death. Um, and they can't deny which that. Which one? This is coming from 
uh, basically independent businesses. America One, I think it was, right? Yeah, America One, yeah. Indiana Life Insurance, $100 billion company. And, uh, you know, this is going to be bad news for a life insurance company when you have. I know. I was thinking they're going to really be hit hard. They, they may even put uh, put in exclusion causes if you've gotten the vax. That would be interesting, wouldn't it? Yeah, I don't know. I, mean, I, I don't even know what they, if they can do it if it's legal, but you know, if they, they're, otherwise they'll go out of business. Who yeah, knows what's going to happen? It'll be interesting to see. It's going to be very interesting to see. Yeah, what worries me is that I think there's going to be um, well, you know, long, they, they, long-term effects. They've gone the other way. I think you may, may realize that for those who die from COVID, who've not been vaxxed, mm. they're not giving them the death benefit. Oh my, that's really yeah. sad. That's, yeah, that's really not, sad. not, there's a number of companies who pulled that. Whoa, trip. wow. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, you would think the life insurance companies would want people to stay alive because they're going to have to pay out, you know, big time if someone dies prematurely, right? Yeah, I mean, that could be a powerful statement if because th- there's no law that can prevent them from doing that. And they said, listen, if you've gotten the jab and you die from it, we're not going to, we're not going to give you your life insurance. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that would like destroy that. My guess is that the, the truth will come out. I mean, you, you can't suppress it forever. I mean, they're trying to, but they won't be successful. And once it comes out, I think it's going to be a great thing because then the trust of the whole system, because it's not just the COVID injection. I know. It's I'm, the I'm whole system. The we've been doing the thing for decades. We've been blow, blowing the whistle on this thing. And if, and because the numbers were so small and the number of people impacted were so few and far between that no one would listen. But now it's affecting almost everyone. You can't get away from this thing. You I can't get away from it. And I think the game's going to be over. I, that's my best guess. I sure hope you're right. It certainly seems to me like that's what should happen. And there's so much evidence now that I don't understand why I keep saying, I don't understand why everybody doesn't see it. But well, that's what you, you, that's what's so beautiful about it. You've got this curiosity <laughs> component. That's just beautiful because it, it drives you to understand. Mm-hmm. But, the, but the, the fundamental issue is that you're curious and, right. and that's like a, like a child. I mean, you, that you, is true. You I essentially have, have, you have not grown up when don't ever grow up because that's what, <laughs> that's what drives you. So uh, I, I, I've got, I'm also curious and I'm curious of what your thoughts are on with respect to a, a biological mechanism. It's pretty clear, although I haven't seen any stati- statistics on this stuff, but you see all the reports of these professional athletes right. who are dropping like flies. These people, these individuals, are typically late teens to 20s, incredibly fit, and probably the healthiest they're going to be their entire life. So you wouldn't predict that these types of individuals would succumb to a serious problem because they're, they're, they've optimized their biology. Unlike you know most people, like 42% of the population is obese, and these people are not obese. You can't be a professional athlete and be obese. So they're very healthy ostensibly. And now they're not, I'm sure most of them are not eating up from the diet but they're eating better than most. So what it, it seems what catalyzes it, it, in the sports that they're really cause them to push themselves to high exertion levels, like in soccer or football, uh, that, which they call in Europe, uh, that's, this is what's triggering it. So it's this mass, and this is, a, this is obviously in people who've gotten the jab. So they're, they're dropping, they're having myocarditis, they're having all these infections and deaths. And I'm wondering, what do you think is going on there? Why is it in this subpopulation of incredibly fit athletes who are pushing themselves to extremes? 
I wonder if being fit causes them to have a lot more ACE2 receptors in the heart. I don't know if that might be Interesting. There's a spot when they guess that one. <laughs> well, that's a good one. Because so it is the ACE2 receptor. It's quite interesting yeah. how that works because the actually the spike protein of the SARS-CoV-2 is unique in having this um, furin, you know about the furin cleavage site, right? Mm-hmm. That cuts mm-hmm. it in half and you get S1 and S2. And S1 breaks off and S1 is, has this receptor that binds to the um, ACE2 receptor. It has this, you know, sequence uh, binding domain for the ACE2 receptor. And so um, I think that I actually suspect it's going to the heart via these exosomes because the exosomes go, the vagus nerve has a good track to the heart. And you're pouring all these spike proteins and this MIR-155, which is associated with heart problems is pack, probably packaged up as it's been, has been seen with the disease that that's packaged up inside those exosomes. And on top of that, that spike protein that's getting broken off the S1 um, binds the ACE2 receptors and disables them. There's actually a paper about that that I read that explained that whole process that when S1 binds the ACE2 receptor, it disables it. And when you disable ACE2, you get an um, increased ACE, in, which is what causes the, the high blood pressure and causes this... Um, um, oh, what is it? Um, <laughs> shoot, the, the uh, angio, uh, angiotensin 2, right? Angiotensin 2 mm-hmm. uh, gets overexpressed, and that gives you um, a very intense response in the heart. It gives you uh, inflammation. Of course, the myocarditis, the whole thing can happen in response to all of that. The combination of the microRNA and the, and the S1 uh, binding to the ACE2 receptor, causing this imbalance. But, but there's got to be another variable there. I could accept the fact that they could have an upregulated ACE2 receptor and in the, in the numbers of them in the heart. And maybe but, just well, the extreme exercise brings the yeah, heart say to extreme a point of over-challenge where it, in a situation where it can't handle the excess load. Just to drop it. They seem to drop during play. It's not like they're, they're dying right. at home at night. They're, they're it doing does it seem like it's too cardiac much, stress. Too much load on a sick heart, a heart that's being inflamed. Damaged, inflamed, and it's just pushing it. Yes. yes so that's, I, hadn't, I hadn't considered the fact that the ACE2 could be upregulated in the heart. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, we should check then, that. I'm not yeah, sure that's true it, for athletes, but it might be. Yeah, yeah, that should should well it's it's someone knows it not many people would have studied Mm -hmm. that but i'm sure it's a known fact i mean Mm -hmm. i'm sure it's been looked at it is interesting as these young athletes these people are in the picture of health right and so Mm -hmm. strong exactly the population would not expect to have that type of response right that would be the one that should be immune to it so you know as puzzles go once you figure the puzzle out you got another piece of the piece picture and you can you know, basically reverse engineer it to make the thing safer, the whole exactly. process. Safer. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's a fun game to play. <laughs> At least these vaccines are keeping me well employed. I'm very, very engaged yeah, in my work right now. It's just a, yeah, but I mean, everyone would be, if, if everyone, if all these ostensibly committed scientists or got the, the mainstream narrative and pushing it, were committed to truly finding the truth, we would have these answers in no time. I know. I mean, it's it, so it would, frustrating, it's just, isn't it? I mean, it doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be this way, but they're just making these poor choices. Um, but anyway, it's a philosophical discussion. We're really talking about biological mechanisms. <laughs> but it's, so, it's so hard to avoid it, you know, because it all ties into it. Right. Um, but uh, all right. So 
Are there other items you'd like to expand on from the paper? Because we've really only touched a small. I know. I know. I'm trying to think what all else was in there. Um, the cancer. Oh yeah. Well, the D4s. Those are really interesting. I just want to bring that up. I, I, that's something I didn't know anything about until. And actually, one of the authors in the paper was. Um, we have four authors on the paper, and the fourth author um, is um, is and Anthony. And the G4s. You mean the. G, uh, G quadruplexes. quadruplexes. I know I had to look that up. I never heard of that before. They're so, so complicated. Tell us what, tell us so what G quadruplexes. Oh man, they're really fascinating. And I don't have a handle on them at all. I'm still struggling. I've got a bunch of papers that I don't even have time to read. And they're, it's hard, hard biology, um, even harder than a lot of the other stuff that I've been reading. But, um, and of course people don't understand them either. So that makes them a tremendous mystery. Um, G4s are basically a, an arrangement. Guanines are one of the four nucleotides that are make up DNA or RNA, mm -hmm. guanine. And uh, guanine is the G in the G4. And what happens is that these, um, a sequence of um, nucleotides on a DNA or an RNA string can kind of fold in on itself mm -hmm. and form these, what's called these G quadruplexes. So it's four guanines at different places on the protein winding back around and sticking together in this little- Is this, is this on the histones or is it actually the nucleotides within the DNA strand? The nucleotides can form that all by themselves. And there's usually a metal- so they're involved. like folding on each other? Yeah, there's a metal in the middle and it's often um, potassium or it could be mm -hmm. calcium uh, that helps to, for, to stabilize these G4s. And the interesting thing about them is that they make the water around them structured. They make gelled water. Wow. Which of course, for me, that made me lit, light up. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, gelled water, because I'm always uh, so interested in gelled water. You know, and Gerald Pollack's uh, work mm -hmm. on the on the Easy water. Easy water, right? And then those G4s can form, and then uh, and when they form, they typically uh, so in, they can form in the DNA, and that um, actually keeps it from becoming active. It doesn't get converted into RNA and doesn't make protein. Uh, with, with it has those G4s in, in these because it blocks, the, it blocks the uh, messenger or the trend. It, it probably creates easy water that allows that doesn't allow anything to get close, right? I'm sure I kind of, <laughs> no, just, <laughs> it's like, gel, it, like a magnet stuck in yeah. a gel. <laughs> I think of it as being stuck in a gel. Um, and in the promoter region, there's a lot of G4s in the promoter regions of the um, of these uh, DNA sequences. And then there are lots of uh, proteins that have these G4s in their pr promoter region. And there are proteins that can unravel them. It's really, really fascinating. So there are proteins that can bind to them and cause the G4 to un undo. And that activates, that allows the, the protein to be expressed. So it's a regulatory element um, controlling which proteins get to be expressed from the DNA, which ones stay quiescent. And many of the proteins that have these G4s in their, in their um, promoter are cancer oncogenes connected to cancer. So as long as they stay gelled, they're inactive, but if they become ungelled, they become active. Mm. And it turns out they're prion proteins. So I found an amazing paper, and this, we talked about that in our paper. I'm glad you let me think about what else we missed. Prion, there's an, a lovely paper about prion proteins that shows that they can bind with their own. The protein gets made from the RNA and the RNA has these G4s and the protein can bind to the G4s in the RNA and both of them um, react. So the protein misfolds. The, the, the theory was that the protein becomes prion-like. You know, these prion proteins have two ways to be. One is safe and one is not safe. And the G4s uh, increase the risk for the prion protein misfolding. 
the presence of those G4s and the combining, the, the meeting with those G4s increases their risk of misfolding in the prion-like uh, configuration. And so the, the interesting thing about that is that spike protein is a prion-like protein and the RNA that they built for the spike protein, they did something called codon optimization, which involved putting a lot more guanines into the RNA than in the original one. They enhanced well, that's the right. guanines. That's right. With this, you went over that last time. We yeah, but I didn't realize at that time that enhancing that the guanines cause means these increasing the number of G4s, which means increasing uh, the risk of the prion protein misfolding into, of the spike protein misfolding into a prion-like protein. So I wow. think that the G4s increase the risk, the danger of, of spike as a prion-like protein. Wow. We're, we're working on this and that's part of that paper. And, and a lot of it's left kind of hanging. Like a lot of that in that paper is kind of like, well, the G4s can do this and that and the other, and there's implications if these things aren't quite right, but we don't really quite know what will be the consequence of having all these G4 RNAs in the cytoplasm. We have massive numbers of these, of these uh, RNAs sitting there with their G4s. And what is that gonna do to the rest of the G4 regulatory process? We do not know, nobody knows, nobody has a clue. Well, we mm -hmm. need we need people like you to sh to give us the clarion call and to shout the warning to be alert for this po possibility, because if you understand biology, you can predict with reasonable probability some pos some some outcomes. Exactly. Here is clearly one that needs to be watched for mm -hmm. and uh, screened for, and uh, you know basically uh, monitored. Mm -hmm. And, you know, our first paper that Greg and I wrote, we predicted that the vaccines would cause a, an increased uh, emergence of variants of, uh, spike, of um, spike protein altered versions of the virus under the pressure of the vaccine. And indeed, that looks to me like that's what's happening with all these Delta and Omicron and all of that. But I'm really hopeful with Omicron because Omicron looks like it's a milder wow. virus, incredibly infectious. It'll fl flash fire through the population and give everybody essentially a vaccine. You know, it's kind of like a natural vaccine, I think. Yeah, I, I, it's, it to me almost seems to be divinely created. I know, I agree. As, as the answer to, to end this craziness. And, and the way things are going, I mean, it's, we're recording this in mid-January. It's very possible that, I mean, this might be gone in a few months. I mean, those is craziness. Right. Because I'm hoping, every, I'm hoping. everyone gets, I mean, this is more infectious than measles. I mean, yeah. millions of people are getting it every day, which is great because they're having a cold. <laughs> you know, and, right, you get a and cold. They're getting and perfect it, natural immunity. Exactly, and it and so, the study showed that it had immunity to Delta as well, not as much as it would to the direct Omicron. Yeah, but that having had Omicron, we were uh, protected to some extent from Delta, and Delta is disappearing anyway because Omicron is chasing it out. Yeah, you yeah. know, so, it's really great. I think Omicron is a, is God's gift from heaven. I, I, that's my guess. <clears throat> I'm wondering, do you think the ability to generate an optimized immune response is going to be somewhat compromised if you've gotten the jab? That's if what I'm thinking. You, that's what it looks like to me. Omicron. And uh, yeah, and if you keep on getting jabs, every time you get one, I think it's going to set back your innate immunity another notch. So I believe, and of course, you don't know how long that type one interferon uh, suppression is going to go on. That's another thing. Everything is you know, so unknown. It's very yeah, clear that, it's happening. That was the central point of your, your paper is that you have this alpha interferon suppression as a result of getting the jab. Exactly. So that when you're exposed to the divine gift of 
Omicron, which is literally, if you hadn't gotten the jab, is going to give you permanent, perfect natural immunity. Right. But you're not going to get that gift if you've been jabbed. Exactly. That's what I think. The jab is going to interfere with your immune response to, um, to Omicron. So, which makes perfect sense. And the primary mechanism is the impairment of alpha interferon response. I think so, yes. Which, which is important for the proper activation of the innate immune system. Exactly. Yeah. That's right. Or cellular immunity as opposed to humoral immunity. Mm-hmm. Mostly the T cells and right. killer well, cells. Right. Um, when cells. a cell gets infected with a virus is when it launches that response, um, the type 1 interferon. Yeah, and that is the that that is the aspect of the immune response that occurs very very early on within the first right. few days. That's right, one to one to seven days, and it allows the immune cells to come in and clear that cell, and also remove all of those viruses that are in that cell. And what they're out. seeking to do with the jab is they're, they're activating the humoral uh, component, the antibody production, which takes yes. longer. That's why they say you're not protected right. for a week or two. That's why they manipulate the system says you are not fu- fully vaccinated until two weeks after. And that's because they wasn't any way, shape or form touching the innate immune system. Exactly. And in fact, as I said, it actively suppresses it by virtue of not looking like a virus. What that type one interferon response responds to is the viral RNA which is not present in the vaccine. It's a human RNA. It looks like a human RNA. Mm-hmm. It, has, it doesn't trigger it at all, but worse than that, it actually actively suppresses it through those microRNAs. It suppresses the ability to respond to anything with type one interferon. Well, this is great. Uh, and if, if you really want to go deep into this, uh, we'll figure out some way to <laughs> Uh, have access to this paper, hopefully, without impairing your ability to get a Right, right. Yeah, so we'll discuss that offline, but it's okay. it's a really an incredible read. And uh, have you sent this paper to Dr. Malone yet, or was it his previous, your previous paper that he was? Uh, not to Dr. Malone, no. Um, okay. He, Dr. He McCullough, to... of course, is, is an author. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. So uh, he needs to get a copy of this, too. And maybe I should send it to him, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Do you have his contact information? I think so, yes. Okay, good, good. Yeah, I think that'd be good. Uh, he would love this because this is he because he he really would love it. I'm sure. Uh, but anyway, the, if you have a passion uh, for this and this is something you're going to want to dive deep in, but I think we really outlined some of the fundamental uh, summaries and abstracts of from the concepts in the paper. But it, certainly, feel free to dig into it. Um, and uh, you're going to continue your work and and right. <laughs> I'm going to keep on trying. Sunny. <laughs> Sunny climbs of Hawaii. <laughs> right. Yes, it's a good life. <laughs> year round. Papers all day long outside yeah, yeah. in the sunlight. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, right. Outside in the sunlight with minimal clothes on or no clothes. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the key, at least around solar noon. I've, I've been able to successfully implement that process here. This is like the 10th or 11th year without vitamin D. And uh, I just got my results back two days ago. And it's the middle of January. And it was at 61 with no vitamin Excellent. D. Yeah, so that's where you want it, folks. 61 is like the low part of normal, which is probably okay in, in January. It goes up to 80 or so in the, in the summer, but you know that's a good way to do it. So you'll be up there too. Uh, all right, well, thanks for everything you're doing. Thank you. And Thank you for- Keep up the great work. 
<laughs> thank you. And you too. Thank you for all you're doing. It's wonderful. <laughs>